0: Let's pray once again and ask for God's blessing on the preacher' word. Father, we thank you for being so kind to us to give us the holy, sacred scriptures. Father, we thank you that they are trustworthy and true. They are life-giving. They are sufficient. Father, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us now through the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need your help more than we even know or can imagine We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen. This last week, some friends of mine who live in a different part of the country were worried about a bank run, and so they went to their bank, and they tried to withdraw a large amount of cash, and the bank said to them, you can't have that cash for a week which caused them to panic even more and wonder what's gonna happen to my cash in a week. When I heard this story, I thought maybe I should go to the bank and withdraw all of my cash. So I went to the bank and I withdrew $10 million. I thought about it for a moment. News of bank runs is troubling, isn't it? Life is full of troubles, I have a friend this week who recently smelt this burning, plasticky smell coming out of his furnace ducts, and $14,000 later, his furnace was fixed. That's troubling. (laughs) Again, what troubles do you face this week? Maybe it's a health trouble, a financial trouble, a relational trouble. When trouble comes, as I said last week, we must fix our gaze firmly on heaven. Dave, why I mentioned that again this week? Because last week's passage is closely tied to this week's passage. And in last week's passage, we learned that the disciples were very tempted to be distressed. Why? Because Jesus had just said he was going to leave them. Then he announced that Judas was going to betray him. Then he announced that Peter was going to turn his back on him. And in light of all this, the disciples are greatly troubled and do encourage them to calm their troubled souls, to provide a tonic for their souls. He says, when trouble comes, fix your gaze firmly on heaven. And he says the same thing to us this morning. Three points this morning. The provision of heaven, which is mostly reviewed from last week. Second, the path to heaven. And then third is the power from heaven. So first, The Provision of Heaven, again, review from last week to provide important context for this week's passage. So what does Jesus say in John 14, 1 to 3? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Again, Jesus says, when trouble strikes, we must fix our gaze on heaven. And then he describes for us some of the the beauty and splendor of heaven. He says, heaven is big enough for all the saints, verse 2. Heaven is assured for all the saints, verse 2b. Heaven will arrive when Christ returns, uh, verse 2b as well. Heaven is heaven because Christ is there, verse 3. And then I mentioned in light of that last week that in heaven our joy will increase for all eternity because it's rooted in knowing an infinite and good God. Again, when trouble comes, we must fix our gaze on God's provision of heaven, which raises the question, how do we get to heaven? What is the path to heaven? I understand that heaven sounds amazing, and I want to go there someday, but how in the world do we get there? And that brings us to the second point. So first is the provision of heaven. Second is the path to heaven. And praise God, there is a path to heaven. There's a way to get there. Well, what does this text tell us um, about this path? Several things. The path is most importantly a person, not a system of ethics. The path is a person. Look with me at John 14, verses 4 to 6. Jesus says, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ is making an incredibly audacious claim. He is saying that he and he alone is the path to heaven. He says, I am the way and the truth and the truth and the life, the way to where? The way to heaven. Well, why is he the way to heaven? Well, theologians talk about how Jesus uses what's called an elliptical device. He's not saying three things, I am the way, pause, and I am the truth, pause, and I am the life. No, he's saying I am the way because I am the truth and because I am the life. He's the way. He's the way to heaven. And again, notice that the way to heaven is a person, not a system of ethics. At the turn of the century, a USA Today article was written about billionaire Ted Turner, who, as many of you know, was the founder of CNN and the owner of the Atlanta Braves for a long time. Toward the end of the article, Turner explains his views of life or his philosophies Of life and religion. He says this, you know, I'm not looking for any big rewards. I'm not a religious person. I believe this life is all we have. I'm not doing what I'm doing to be rewarded in heaven or punished in hell. I'm doing it because I feel it's the right thing to do. Almost every religion talks about a Savior coming. (laughs) When you look in the mirror in the morning, When you're putting on your lipstick or shaving, you're looking at the Savior. Nobody else is going to save you but yourself. Now, Ted Turner had a very, very high opinion of himself. Not many people are bold enough to say statements like this, that they are their own Savior, yet this is how the vast majority of the world lives, They believe that they are their own savior. All religions teach essentially the same thing. Do better and try harder and you'll get to heaven. That's the path. Make this trek. Pray this prayer. Avoid those things. Abide by this philosophy. Follow the golden rule or more contemporary. Um, If you recycle, drive an electric car, celebrate diversity, and you're nice to people, you'll be on the path to heaven. At this point, maybe you're thinking, Dave, I know all this. I know that salvation is by grace through faith. You may know that in your head. You may want to believe that. But how do you do on those days when you do not perform very well? Those days where you are angry with your children or your spouse, you neglect God's word, You complain about your boss. On the way home from work, you have road rage. And when you get home, you ignore your family and you go to bed because you're so stressed. On those days, how do you feel about being on the path to heaven? Do you feel like you're still on the path to heaven? Or on the other days, when you're really, really good, you read your Bible, you pray, you evangelize your friends, you love your family, you lead your family in the evening in three hours of family worship, And on that day, how do you feel about that path to heaven? probably feel like I'm still on the path. That way of thinking is, as we've mentioned many times from this pulpit, is PBA, performance-based acceptance. If you think that your performance has anything to do (laughs) with getting to heaven, then you are undermining or ignoring the person and work of Jesus. He's the only way to heaven. He has done all the performing for you. All you have to do is put your hope and confidence in his performance, his life, his death, his resurrection. He's performed everything for you. Christianity is not good advice. Do better, try harder. Christianity is good news. Christ has done everything necessary to provide the path to heaven. And notice Jesus does not say, "Um, I'm going to show you the way. Come follow me, and you've got to do this, and avoid that, and don't do that, and you'll get to heaven. No, he says, I am the way. I am the path. The path is a person. The path is not a system of ethics. Are you fully embracing that path this morning? Have you repented of all the bad things you do and all the good things that you do to earn God's favor and get to heaven? The path is a person, and his name is Jesus. In addition, the path is narrow. The path is a person, and the path is narrow. Look with me again at John 14, verses 4 to 6. Jesus says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Because Jesus Christ is the way, not a way, but the way, he can say at the end of verse six, no one comes to the Father except through me. And this, by the way, is what Christians have taught for 2,000 years, that conscious faith in Jesus Christ alone is required to get to heaven. Not my opinion, the words of Jesus, the risen and reigning King. Peter says it like this in the book of Acts, Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name, the name, which name? name of Jesus, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then we sang about this this morning, 1 Timothy 2.5-6, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, does not say that Jesus is the only mediator for Christians. He says he's the only mediator between God and men, all men, mankind, everyone, everywhere, in every generation, and in every nation. Well, Dave, it is the height of arrogance for you to say that Jesus Christ... Is the only way to God. I'm not saying it. Jesus is saying it. R.C. Sproul describes an experience he had in college many, many years ago. He writes, I took a class in college once taught by a professor who was openly hostile to the Christian faith. She never missed an opportunity to attack Christianity in her classroom. So I tried to keep a low profile, melt into the woodwork to escape the arrows of her wrath. One day, however, she called on me in front of the class. She said, Mr. Sproul, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to God? If I said what I believed, I would experience an avalanche of wrath from the instructor. But if I didn't say what I believed, I would be guilty of nothing less than treason to the King of Kings. I mumbled an answer, but she said, What was that? (laughs) So I said, Yes, ma'am, I do believe that Jesus is the only way to God. She went into a paroxysm, an explosion of rage. She said, "That is the most narrow-minded, arrogant, bigoted thing I've ever heard any student say." This was 40 years ago, 50 years ago. The rest of the class glared at me as if as she heaped scorn on my head. After class as I walked out the door, she stopped me and she said, "I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be so hard on you, but I just can't understand how someone like you could be that narrow-minded. And I said to her, well, I hope you can understand my problem. I've been persuaded that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, if I believe that Jesus was the only way to God because he happened to be my way, and that anything that R.C. Sproul believes must be the only true way to think, then I would agree with your assessment that I am unspeakably arrogant, bigoted, and narrow-minded. But I hope you understand why I believe Jesus is the only way. It is because Jesus said he's the only way, and he proved that by rising from the grave. If you disagree with me this morning, you're disagreeing with Jesus, the one who spoke everything into existence out of nothing, and the one who rose from the grave proving that he's God, and if he's God, then what he said must be true. This is not arrogance, this is truth. If I said to you that gravity is a thing, you wouldn't say, that's so arrogant, Dave. It's true. Or if I said to you, two plus two is four, you wouldn't say, Dave, that is so arrogant. No, it's true. It's true. It's true that Jesus rose from the grave, proving he's God. Therefore, what he's saying about himself, these exclusive truth claims are true. And if this is true, which it is, he's the only path to heaven, which means that the path is not found in Muhammad or Moses or the Buddha or Hinduism or Confucianism or the teachings of Joseph Smith. Jesus alone saves. And if that's true, which it is, you must. Tell your friends about Jesus because he's the only way to God, the only way to life, the only way to forgiveness and freedom. It's only found in one place, one person Jesus. Yet, how many of us, myself included, are often so apathetic about the eternal state of our friends? They're only going to find salvation in Jesus. Therefore, we have to open our mouths and talk about Him. Ironically, people complain about there only being one way. (laughs) But there's a way. There is a way. There's a way for everyone, everywhere, and every culture to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. There's a way. Aren't you glad? There's a way. And by the way, God does not owe us anything, especially a way to heaven. But he graciously gives us one. Well, Dave, how certain can we be of this way? Let's keep reading. The path is a person, the path is narrow, and the path is certain. It's certain. John 14, 6 to 11, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. Jesus says, I am the only way to God the Father. And Philip says, maybe, maybe. We'll be certain that you are the way. If you can show us, merely show us the Father, then we'll believe. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, Philip? and You still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus says, Philip, do you still not believe me? I've told you numerous times that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you believe the Father, you must believe me. Well, how is seeing Jesus seeing the Father? Let's keep reading. Verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now, verse 10 is deep, deep Trinitarian theology. Theology. Jesus says that I indwell the Father and the Father indwells me, implying the Spirit indwells both of us. Theologians call this mutual indwelling, circumcessio, pericorosis big words that simply mean this, because there is one essence in the Godhead. There is one God. They share the same substance. Therefore, in one sense, the Father dwells in the Son and the Son dwells in the Father. There is one substance, yet each member of the Trinity maintains his unique identity as a unique person. What does all this mean? Because there is one essence, there is mutual indwelling, there is one God. If you've seen the Father, you've seen the Son. Therefore, whatever the Son says is what the Father says. By the way, this this teaching of mutual indwelling is what undergirds the Trinity. We are Trinitarian monotheists. Three persons, Trinitarian monotheists in one God. And that one substance ensures there is one God. But the point here is simply as Jesus is saying, because there's one substance, because I and the Father are one, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Therefore, you should believe me and what I'm saying about these claims of exclusivity. If you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now, the works themselves are referring to Christ's miracles. We can be certain that Jesus is the only path to heaven. How? When Jesus speaks, God the Father speaks. And if that's not enough, which it is, But if that's not enough, Jesus says, look at the works that I've done, all the miracles that I've performed. He is not saying, believe with blind faith. No, he's saying believe because of all the evidence that's out there, all the evidence of my miracles. We can say now, all the evidence of his resurrection. So, do you believe? If not, you owe it to yourself to explore the miracles of Jesus. Jesus. There's too much at stake to ignore what's happening in these verses. If what he's saying is true, there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus. And he's challenging all of us to explore these claims. The path is a person, the path is narrow, and the path is certain. When we are troubled this week, we must remember that there is a path to heaven, That's good news. Not only is there a path to heaven, but there's also great power from heaven, which brings us to the third point. So first, the provision of heaven. Second, the path of heaven. And third is the power from heaven. Well, power for what is the obvious question. And the answer is power for greater works. Look with me at John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Well, what are these greater works that Christ is referring to? The expression greater works could also be translated as greater things, since the Greek word for greater is a neuter adjective, and the noun works is not included here as in the earlier part of the verse. These greater works include things like evangelism, teaching, miracles, uh, deeds of mercy and compassion. Well, how are these works greater? Jesus did some pretty amazing things. Is he really saying we can do greater things than him? Well, these works are greater not because they are more amazing, but because they'll be greater in their worldwide scope, transforming whole cultures and societies. For instance, They'll be greater geographically. Jesus never left Palestine, but his disciples have spread the message of Christianity around the globe. They'll be greater ethnically. Jesus dealt almost exclusively with the Jews. However, Christianity has gone to all the nations, affecting thousands of ethnicities. They'll be greater numerically. When Jesus died, only a few of his followers were still with him. Now, worldwide, there are literally millions, if not billions, of followers of Jesus performing all kinds of mighty works in his name. Christians have power from heaven for greater works. Now, people often say, Christianity leads to nothing but violence and war and bloodshed. Yet, I would argue, that Christianity has been the greatest source of good works in the history of the world. No other movement or organization has done more to advance human flourishing than Christianity. What do I mean? Christians are the ones responsible for the abolition of slavery, the creation of most of the hospitals in the world, the creation of the university system. The vast majority of universities around the world were founded by Christians, the creation of public education, prison reform, the liberation of women, the founding of orphanages, the establishment of the free market, and the scientific revolution. All these things are the result of Christian influence. If you don't believe me, let me recommend some books. There's a great book by Rodney Stark called How the West Won. He's a a sociologist at Baylor. Um, Charles Murray's books. There's a great book called Jesus Skeptic that argues all these things as well. This is well-documented, Christianity has been the greatest source of good for the human race, and no one else even comes close. Why? Because Jesus promised his followers there'd be power from heaven for greater works. That's exactly what's happened. Well, how can Christians perform these greater works? Well, Jesus says in our text, that he is going to the Father. When he goes to the Father, he'll be at the Father's right hand, and then he will pour out the Spirit at Pentecost. If you're a Christian, amazingly, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you who promises to empower you for greater works, evangelism, generosity, performing miracles, healings, exorcisms. All those things we can do in the power of the Holy Spirit. God has given you everything you need this week. When trouble comes, remember, you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you to perform greater works. God is with you to empower you and to help you. But how often do you and I forget to ask for help? When we do, it's amazing what happens. God actually helps us. Have you discovered that? When temptation comes, say, God, help me right now to not raise my voice in anger. Respond defensively. Look at this website. God, give me grace. And you know what happens? God answers that prayer almost all the time. Because he's promised to give us power. And when you and I are tempted to be afraid To share the gospel with our friends. We must ask God for power. God, give me boldness. Give me boldness to open my mouth and speak of you. When trouble strikes, we have power from heaven for greater works. In addition, we have power from heaven for answered prayer. How encouraging. Verse 13 and 14. Jesus says... Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, This does not mean that if you ask for a shiny new Corvette this week, or a new boyfriend, or a new spouse, or a new job, God's going to answer your prayer. He says very, very carefully, whatever you ask in my name, What does that mean, to ask in Christ's name? A person's name in the ancient world represented a person's character. When we ask for something in Christ's name, we're asking for something that aligns with his character, with his purposes, and with his will. We are asking for things that we know he delights in. Furthermore, praying in Jesus' name means that we pray to the Father Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can only approach the Father in boldness and in confidence because Jesus suffered and died in our place, removing all of our sins and enabling us to talk to God the Father, enabling the God the Father to hear us. In the disciples' great trouble and hour of loss, Jesus reminds the disciples that he will hear and answer every single prayer that they pray in his name. Now this week, I doubt that your greatest need is more money, more things, a promotion at work, or a new car. But I know for a fact that God will answer your prayers when you pray according to his will, which is really good news because I know that all of us more than anything need this week More of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace. Who wants more peace? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness with your kids and your spouse. Gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. Who wants more self control? Oh my goodness. I pray all the time. Lord, give me self control in eating, in sleeping, and exercising, and in looking. Give me self control. And you know what? God promises to answer those prayers. Why? Because those things are according to His will. He wants you to have those things this week. Isn't that good news? God is eager to answer prayers for these things. And when trouble comes, this is what you need. Not more money or a new job or a new spouse. You need these things. And God promises to give them to us because this is Jesus' will for us, that we would grow in these areas. So when trouble comes, there's good news. We're not alone. God promises to give us power for greater works, and God promises to answer prayers when we pray according to his name. Again, what troubles do you face this week? A troubling job, a troubling relationship, financial problems, a troubling health diagnosis. When trouble strikes, we must fix our gaze on heaven. And John 14, 1 to 14, we learn about the provision of heaven, the path to heaven, When you're in trouble, remember, there's a path to heaven and the power from heaven. God promises to answer prayer, and God promises to give us power for greater works. Let's pray together.